You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. We're in this series called B. I think there's a couple of quotes today. I didn't write these things. These are quotes that are so good, it's worth kind of sitting down and reading them again during the week and just letting them kind of marinate, you know, just kind of sit there on you for a while to learn. So be free. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to yoke of slavery. We're going to be really exploring that verse today, along with a bit more in Galatians chapter 5. But when you hear somebody say, be free, what comes across to you? You know, it's one thing if you're like in the middle of Estero Community Park and somebody comes up to you and says, be free. You'd look at them like, what's, what's going on? Are you in the right mental state? Why, I am free. I, there's nothing constraining me. I'm just hanging out at the park. That's one thing. Another would be if you are struggling with an addiction in life and someone tells you, be free, you almost feel like that's a command rather than um, a freeing statement at all. It's like, I've got to free myself. I've got to figure out how to do this. And uh, when you tell me to be free, you're, you're acting. Uh, I, and you can almost feel the burden of that on an individual facing that because, oh my goodness, what happens if I fail again? Because I often have relapses and now you're telling me I have to be free and I don't feel free at all. But it's another, if you happen to be in a prison and a prison guard opens the door and says, be free, all charges are dropped. Now that's freedom, right? And that's kind of, I think, a little of what Paul is getting at today in our text. So we're going to be reading from Galatians chapter 5, the first 15 verses. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. 
So for anyone who might be here for the first Sunday, welcome. It's great to have you here. It's great to see you. And I'm going to catch you up a little on the series. Uh, we started this new year, the month of January and 2023, with this series called B, because too often I think we have these ideas of New Year's resolutions, and what we create is a to-do list. Any of you have a to-do list? And I, I mentioned a couple weeks ago a honey-do list. Honey, would you do? So that's a list somebody else gives you. <laughs> Hopefully you're honey. <laughs> but um, what if we created a to-be list? What if we created a to-be list? Because I think the scriptures will tell you again and again, Jesus himself speaks to this, it's who you are matters more than what you do. In fact, who you are then spills out into what you do. Okay, it matters more about who you are becoming and however, so this year it might be not what you do, but who you are while you are doing it. Are you someone who is patient and kind while you are working? Are you someone who is explain, exhibiting the character of God? So God's intent, actually from the beginning, was about who we were made to be. He created us, as Genesis says, in God's image, in the image of God. That, and people have debated, what is the image of God? The image of God is that we would reflect God, that we would image him, that we would be his mirror, his glory, onto the rest of creation, to have dominion, to, to use this creation for God's glory, to benefit the creation, to be to this creation as God, would, that we would be within his creation, his glory, his image, his bearers, but we decided, no, we got a better idea, right? I want to do it my way. Um, so Adam and Eve and the rest of us have fallen and have lost so much in the process, but God's original intent has not changed. He still wants you to image him, to be his and in fact, he's going to bring that about. His whole plan, the whole story from Genesis through Revelation is about how God has now acted and moved and worked in you and in all of us in such a way through his son, Jesus Christ, so that you and I one day will be conformed, shaped to be more and more like Jesus. One day when we see him, we're going to be like him. We're going to look like he is our brother. <laughs> And even now, we can bear that image through joy and love, the character of God, and reflect it in this world, and this world really needs it. Be free. Be who God has made you to be. So often, I think when you hear, well, Christianity in general, people often think, and a lot of students, I think, at FGCU think this as well, um, that Christianity is a restriction, that it's a confinement. And a lot of people in society have said, yeah, I don't want to be a part of any religion anymore. No, none, none of the above, partly because it feels so confining, it feels so limiting, and yet it's anything but. It's freeing you to be whom God made you to be from the beginning. And we're going to see that in this text. So 
the three points we're going to be looking at today is the fact that God chose you to be free, how we hinder our freedom, but then how to be free, how to live free. First of all, God chose you to be free. Isn't this an amazing way Paul starts Galatians 5? For freedom, Christ has set us free. He doesn't say for work, for a to-do list. <laughs> you know, you're hired to do all this work God doesn't want to do himself. No, for freedom, Christ has set us free. That was God's choice. That's the kind of God we have. He wants us to be free, but to, it cost him everything. To be free, to free us, was not free to God by any means. To be his children. Um, he is the one who goes into the prison and releases us as the captives. He's the one who is, crushes Satan, but at the same time is crushed and on the cross. He is the one who bleeds and dies in our place to give us life. And the New Testament says clearly, you are free. Christ has freed you. For freedom, Christ has set you free. That is past tense, errorist, indicative. In other words, and in the Greek, you'll learn, Ethan's in my Greek club, by the way. So sorry, Ethan, for picking on you. But uh, you're going to learn what errorist means. It's a done deal. It's happened. There's nothing changing that. And it has present implications. Christ has set you free. There's nothing to attain. You know, it's not like God gives us a pep talk. It's not a motivational speech where now you go out there and try to become free. There's no self-help like 12 steps now to do or five steps or three steps. There's not even a two-step. You are free. Gerhard Ferdy and Jim Nesting a while back wrote a book together for actual teens, and in it they said this to explain it. They said, God has made a decision about you. He hasn't waited to find out how sincere you are, how devote, devout or religious you might be. He hasn't even waited to find out if you're interested or willing to take his decision seriously. He has simply decided God made this decision knowing full well the kind of person you are, he knows you better than anyone else could, inside, out, upside, down, and backwards. He knows where you are strong and where you are weak, what you most are proud of, and what you would most like to hide. Be that as it may, God, decision is made. He can't come straight out with it. I am the Lord your God. That's the decision. God has decided to be your God, for God wants to be as close to you as your next breath, to be the one who gives you confidence and, and value to open a future to you in the freedom of the word. God wants to be the one to whom you turn for whatever you need. Who is this God? The God who has decided for you is the one who opened the grave the first Easter morning, the God who raises the dead. So when this God says, I am your God, the am stands forever. He is, was, and always will be your God. So no grave will be able to hold you. In the silence of death, you will hear Jesus' voice saying, rise and shine. I am the Lord your God. 
God's decision opens your future. God's decision grants you life, forgiveness, and resurrection. You are free. And a lot of people would hear that in the churches of Galatia, where Paul wrote this letter, and say, yeah, that sounds great, but you know what a yes, but is, right? Everything before the yes, forget. Everything after the but is what's really going on. And you see in this text, what's going on in this text is some people, I th they, they were called Judaizers. We don't know. They were sincere, devout people who had been embedded in the idea of religion and the religion of law and rules and said, yes, but if you really want to show your sincerity and your zeal, you need to be circumcised. Okay? As a mark of what God had said is an eternal covenant from the uh, time immemorial all the way back to like Abraham. Now, with circumcision, Paul knew what's going on. It's the proverbial nose of the camel that got into the tent. Have you ever heard that uh, little metaphor before? When you see the camel's nose get into the tent, guess what's coming next? The rest of the camel. Because they found the opening, it's going to get in, and that's exactly what was going on. It wasn't just, oh, be circumcised and that's enough. Now it's like, oh, but now, if you really want to show your sincerity, then by Friday sunset through Saturday, don't do anything. And oh, and by the way, then there are certain things that are probably, if you really want to show your love for God, don't eat these things. And, you can eat these things, but don't do that. And then there's those people over there. They're going to get, um, they're, they're not as good as you are, and they're not as pure as you are. You be better separate from them. And so what you find is not just the 613 commands that are found in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible coming in, but every interpretation and every implication of those thousands of little rituals and rules around them so that you might not break the 613 laws and not, and you find out as well, when you go the process of, of trying to follow rules, we find this out in society all the time, you can't make enough. You cannot make enough rules to fit every circumstance, to make everything work, and to have people behave. And every time you make more rules, what happens? Tell me what happens when you set down a rule for a child. They're going to break it. Tell me when we change the speed limit. Do you remember? There are some of us who remember it used to be 70 on the highways, and we moved it down to 55. How did that go? Yeah. So, be free. Paul, of all people, knew what it meant to try to keep the 613 laws. And he even says in the books of Philippians and elsewhere, his letters, he was probably the best at it. And yet in Philippians, in chapter 3, um, I preached on this Greek word before, skubalon. He said it's a whole bunch of baloney. Let's just be nice today. <laughs> now call it what the word really means. It's the stinkiest, smelliest, grossest, trashiest thing you can think of. But he says, trying to keep the law will get you nowhere. And in fact, the law doesn't free you. It actually binds you. And in fact, you are freed from that. The law, 
He will write in Galatians 3 then, is the law contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. If the law had been given that would give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. What you find out with the law is the more laws you have, the more laws you realize, the more laws you know, the more likely you see how you're not keeping it. And the law cannot free you. The law has no power to change you. It's the gospel, the grace of Jesus Christ. What shocked Paul at the, for, for the Galatians is that they started with the gospel, they heard the gospel, they knew the good news of Jesus Christ, but they went back to the rules as if they could get anywhere with them. He says, you were running well. <laughs> who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leavens, leavens the whole lump. It doesn't take much yeast, you know, with those little one-ounce packets, four or five cups of flour, you knead it in, an hour, two hours later, it's doubled in size. It doesn't take much, and all of a sudden, the impact is everywhere. And Paul was saying, you add a little line called circumcision, and boy, let's see how that just goes everywhere. So for freedom, you were set free. But so often, just like the Galatians, our second point, how we hinder our freedom. You know what hinders our freedom? The one that Paul is really hitting here, the strongest? Religion. What? Yeah, religion. I thought you said we were religious. Yeah, everybody's religious. Even the people who say they're not religious, they're religious. They have something that connects everything together for them. They have something that they hold on to, and they have something that they follow, whatever it happens to be. But it doesn't create freedom at all. He says bluntly, you go into circumcision, it's going to cause problems. Too many churches, by the way, today, it's not circumcision, but it's some rule, some law, some way of looking, some way of behaving that they say the, the real Christians do this. Maybe you've been in one of those churches. Real Christians do this. They look like this. You're a, well, well, well I guess you're saved. Have you ever had that kind of, <laughs> I guess you're saying. Yeah. And what happens is what David Saul says, religion turns Christianity into a perpetual falling short and therefore a bed of exhaustion and anxiety. And in a lot of churches, I think that's called a toxic spirituality, by the way, Pastors and leaders keep pushing little laws and rules on people, you know, to give more, to do more, to be more, to, to try more, to do this, to do that, to do this, to do that. And what happens is everybody gets exhausted because the law does that. It actually, religion, the word religio in Latin actually means to bind, and it not only connects things together, it can chain you down. So David Zoll continues to write in his book, um, 
that religion slowly transmutes Christianity actually into its opposite, a treadmill of moral striving. The church transforms from a hospital for sinners into a schoolhouse or even boot camp for saints. The emotional engine of the Christian life switches from gratitude to obligation, in some cases fear. Both motivations may yield similarly altruistic and justice-seeking actions, but only the grateful heart will have the stamina required to love one's neighbor over the long haul. You know, fear works for a short time. Guilt works for a short time. But chronic guilt and chronic fear will never work. It doesn't change the heart. It doesn't transform anything. You know, um, lately I've been reading a lot of, um, or listening to a lot of podcasts on just the narrative of the, of the Hebrew scriptures into the New Testament, that is the whole Bible. And what you find out is that the laws when they were given in the Old Testament, immediately following the law, any giving of the laws, the children of Israel broke the laws. And then more laws were given, and then they broke some more. I mean, when the Ten Commandments were giving, the first commandment, anybody know what the first commandment is? Have no other gods before me. And the children of Israel at the base of Mount Sinai, when that commandment was given, were doing what? <laughs> Having a God before them. You can't even find a place in the Old Testament where the laws were kept when they were given. And what you find is the prophets and others are saying there's got to be a new way. There's got to be a new way, a new covenant, one that will not be broken. A new covenant where God forgives. A new covenant where God imparts his spirit. And so people start following the law without having to look at all the rules. They just respond freely. And Paul is saying that's what happened in Jesus. That's what's going on now. For in Christ, he will say, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. You could take that phrase there, and I uh, do have that slide somewhere. All right. Uh, you could take that phrase, circumcision, and just put the word religion in. For in Christ, religion, neither religion nor irreligion, Neither keeping the rules or breaking all of them will get you anywhere. It doesn't count for anything before God. God knows who we are. God knows our condition, and he still chooses to be our God. I mean, the simple John 3, for God so loved the world that he gave. That was God's choice. For God so loved you. You can just put in for the world your name there and speak that wonderful John 3.16 for yourself because you are part of the world. <laughs> That's who you are. Yes, God has already chosen you. God has chosen to be your God and all that that means. And so he says, be free. For freedom Christ has set us free. He doesn't say, for the law Christ sets you free. He doesn't say, well, you're on probation. If you follow enough rules, someday you will be free. He says, for freedom Christ has set you free. Now, I, str I think we all struggle with this. We all somehow think, well, 
has he really set us free or is there some, are we still having that little gray cloud over our head going like, well, if I don't really do my part of the, there is no bargain with God. My part of the, bar, there is no bargain. God does not make deals. He gives promises that he fulfills. We are so caught up in the lies. And all Paul says is, for freedom Christ has set us free, stand firm. Don't get under that yoke of slavery again. You know, when I doubt the freedom that I've given, when I doubt the free love that God has given me, that's when either I tend to think I've got to get something from outside of God's will in my life, or I've got to do something to earn God's favor in my life. That's what sin is, by the way. As uh, John Piper talks about sin, he says, sin is what you do when you are not satisfied in God. It's what you do when you think somehow I've got to either earn something more to get God's favor to favor me when he already has, or I can find something better outside instead of fully enjoying the freedom that God has for us. Paul says, for freedom you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in the one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're not going to find anything good outside of what God has for you and how God has made you. God's freedom does not limit you. God's freedom does not constrain you. God's freedom does not restrict you. When you live into the character of who God has wants you to be imaging, Jesus Christ, he actually makes you more you. You become more you. You become more what God has in store for you, what he's always wanted for you. It's amazing. Most people love what I would say in a conditional way. That is, you know, I love those who are nice to me, who love me back. Christians are called in this passage to love those, well, to love everyone simply and fully, freely, just to freely love. Most people love with what they can get out of it. Christians love what they can give into it. And everyone needs it. You're freed. You're freed from the reciprocity this world is always working on. You're freed from all the deals people are making. You are freed from all of the strings that get attached. Paul says the only thing that matters is faith working through love. What amazes me is those who trust in Jesus Christ that way realize they are freed then from intimidation. They're freed from control by other people. They are freed from the self-criticism that we do on our own self about things. We are freed from appearances. We are freed from peer pressures. We are free to serve and to give and to love and to respond. And I'll tell you one thing that is so true about being this kind of free. It is such a counterpoint to what this world is offering. It is so different when 
followers of Jesus live out their freedom and freely love and freely give and don't count um, what you know, count and calculate every last thing, but the right hand, as Jesus says, doesn't know what the left hand is doing. It is such an attractive thing in a world that is filled with everything that is always power plays and bargains and deals and politics. What an amazing counterpoint we can be. You are most yourself when you're living in, by freely being loved by God, receiving and trusting his grace, and then freely loving in return. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this day. Um, I, there's no way I can emphasize or uh, comprehend even, Lord, or um, communicate the level of the freedom that you want for us, that you've always sought. From the beginning, you freely gave. You created this world, Lord God, and everything in it. Then you gave us <laughs> the amazing, unique um, position of being uh, the crown of your creation, made in your image to steward the rest of this beautiful world for your glory. We're amazed, Lord, at our position. So often we've walked away from freedom, Lord. We'd rather just follow rules or religion or rituals. But you free us, Lord Jesus. You free us to be whom you created us to be, whom you redeemed us to be. And by your spirit, we pray, Lord, that you help us to respond freely in love, loving each other as you have loved us, to freely give as we have freely received to be as responsive to the needs of this world as you would have us be, Lord, to not be, fill, uh, be freed from the worries and anxieties and the guilt and the shame that this world would always heap on us, freed from you know, behavior modification controls and to just respond in love. Help us to be a community like that, Lord, and to show your free, truthful love like Jesus, you said, if you are, my, you know, those who are my disciples, you hear my teaching, you follow my teaching, you trust in my teaching, the Son of Man will set you free and we will be free indeed. Help us to live as free, free servants, free people, Lord, your free children. We pray, Lord, for those who are facing so many struggles uh, right now, still in Southwest Florida, you know the condition of uh, people's housing and people's lives and finances, Lord, after Hurricane Ian. We pray, Lord, that you break through all of the red tape and issues, Lord, that you help us as well to come alongside and partner and understand and pray for and encourage those who are still struggling, Lord, with inadequate housing. We pray, Lord, that you would make us a community that uh, we would be uh, just friends of people who are in need, Lord. As you, Jesus, reached out to so many different types of people and gathered them into your orbit that we too would display your kingdom in such a way today. We lift up to you, O Lord, um, Southwest Florida as well. You know the hearts and lives of many. How many people think they are free right now but are in bondage in one form or another?
under the load of obligations, under the load of debts, potentially also under the load of addictions of various types, and even under the load of their own selfish ego, Lord. We've all been there, Lord, in so many ways. We ask that you give us that word that speaks freedom, that you would free through your gospel. We pray, Lord God, that as uh, James had prayed before, <laughs> if we say we have no sin, we just would be deceiving ourselves, not you. And the truth is not in us. But we confess our sins, Lord. We confess our bondages. We confess how we have not lived free, how we have not freely responded, how we have seen your will as a restriction rather than an opportunity. Forgive us for these things, Lord. And you are faithful and just, and you do forgive us our sins, and you do cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Bless us now, Lord, as we will move in a time of preparation to receive Holy Communion, as well as, Lord, to respond with our tithes and offerings. Use these offerings, O Lord, to bring that word of freedom and grace to many more lives in Southwest Florida, on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University and beyond. All this we pray in the name of Jesus, who sets us free. Amen.